My name is John Corbin, and I'm here to hear your stories. Today on the podcast, singer, songwriter, worship leader, personic creative collective teammate, Rochelle Luke joins the show. We talk about the process of preparing to release an album. Rochelle has a new album out now called Even Now. But behind the album comes all the stories. We talk about the points of identity that get expressed into song and why it's okay for Christians to sing sad songs. Uh, we really get into it now. A really vulnerable episode. I hope you enjoy it. This is the John Corbin Podcast. It's the John Corbin Podcast. I'm here with my special guest. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, John and everyone out there. My name is Rochelle Luke. And uh, what do I do? I am a singer-songwriter and a worship leader. Um, also a music teacher, but I don't do as much of that currently um, as I usually do. But yeah, I'm a musician. There I am. A wonderful musician. Thank I'll you. say that. <laughs> Rochelle, who do you hold close? Um, my husband, for sure. I have a wonderful husband and a wonderful family, my parents, my brother and his kids. Uh, I have a wonderful niece and nephew. And uh, yeah, I'm really blessed to have some awesome friends that I can really just be myself with. So I hold them close. And uh, I'm also part of a really great church community at Mississauga City Baptist Church. And they're wonderful. MCBC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rochelle, what inspires you? I am easily inspired. <laughs> okay. I like that. I would say that. Uh, I'm also easily discouraged. Though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... Um, any this is gonna sound so like uh oh, but I find beauty in a lot of a lot of places. So anything beautiful inspires me. Um and I think honesty inspires me. Okay. I like that one too. So you find beauty in a lot of places, which then I hope means that you are skilled at stopping to engage. You know what? I think <laughs> sometimes I am and then sometimes I get surprised when I'm totally like I to it just goes right by. Um, actually, so earlier today, I spent hours at the post office mailing off my new CD and stuff like that. Hours. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> but now I know so many things that I didn't know before. <laughs> I didn't know that I had to fill out all these custom forms and that mm -hmm. ideally I would have done that ahead of time. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a story about beauty. So. So the lady working at the post office, I mean, this lady is working so hard and there's this never ending lineup of people. And of course I'm like mailing way too many things. Um, but amidst this kind of stress and chaos, this little child standing in line with her mom starts kind of like singing and not like, not like tuneful, good singing, like just singing like a kid who's incredibly bored. Right. And the mom starts shushing the kid <laughs> and the lady who's working 
she's like, no, 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 do not tell the kid to stop. Like, I am so stressed right now. I want to hear her sing. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, I was like, I am so stressed right now because I'm trying to like mail these CDs out and like bring musical beauty into the world. And right here, this child is doing it and I missed it. So there's Mm -hmm. an example. Yeah. How bold of this woman to say like, let the kids sing. And I think I immediately put myself in her shoes and said like, I need something interesting to happen here in this, you know, shift and however long I'm working, however long I've been working, whatever stressors it's like to work uh, in the post office or, you know, I mail mine out of shoppers. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how, you know, just what that must be like and that work environment. You're, you're looking for interesting things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I would guess that that would have come from a need. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was very. And like the whole time I had been there, like working with her on these mm-hmm. things, she wasn't she hadn't really said very much. So, yeah, I was kind of impressed um, the urgency and sincerity with which she was like, let the child sing. I want this. Wow. <laughs> wow. I just I don't know why my head's like in so swimming with these possibilities of what this woman must be like or but yeah you're right i live in a pretty you know i live in the suburbs west of toronto i live in a pretty idyllic neighborhood and um to sit and pause and look at at the beauty especially in you know approaching summer weather it reminds me of all these moments where i have stopped and sat in nature or by the by the waterfront and 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 paused I'm definitely a you know a hurried person with a full-time job and five kids but I think I am critical of myself for not engaging mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. so I'm glad that you are <laughs> oh I don't know that I, I feel the same way too though that like okay. I very often am like could I how how do I engage in this you know I'm I don't think I'm especially good at that but Thank you. <laughs> Do you think that that um, those th- those inspired moments of beauty, um, how much do they find their way into your music? All the time. Okay. I think that's well. That's a good question to think about. Like where, you know, what is the intersection of inspiration and creative work? A lot of people think it's you know you feel inspired and then the song pops out of you, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that happens like sometimes but then a lot of times I just sit down until and I work on something until until the inspiration comes but I think that inspiration comes from yeah even like a moment like that or a small you know image of something that I remember from three years ago pops into my head so I think that all those moments kind of are somewhere in my memory Mm -hmm. and then when I'm writing music they just kind of, they just surface in different ways, sometimes surprising ways. Yeah, I like that word, surface. That's good. You store these things and then they surface. Yeah, I think that is it. Or sometimes like I don't realize that I stored something until it just like, yeah, it comes to the surface. It's like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that in years, but it feels so fresh right now. That to me then becomes like, in, in the last in the last couple of years, I've been very happy to make music and share music. I've been way happier to tell stories about what goes into it. I don't know. This is 
is your first full length album that you that we're putting out? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So up till now, well, I did my first EP. That was my yes. first recording project. And then since then I've done a few singles, a few collaborations, people like yes. you, but yes, this is my first full length album and maybe my last one. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. We need to talk about that. <laughs> You you said that I mean you're you're at the you're about to put this out and and you're at the end of the process. I remember a cold, it always stuck with me. Coldplay said like we we are going to break up at the end of every record. Like we've <laughs> got nothing more to say. We've said it all. <laughs> well, for so the we'll record, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it like I'm not putting out music. I okay. feel more motivated to put out music than maybe ever before. But I think that in the marketing phases of this every time sure. i mentioned to somebody that i was like this is an album they're like why are you doing that it's right. 2021 right. do singles um right. so in that sense although up until a year ago i did feel very much like it was like oh this is as many good songs as i'm going to write like, <laughs> i don't know if there's better stuff that's going to come out of me um but i feel very differently about that now that's good. I'm glad you're motivated. Uh, this is a tough one, Michelle. Describe yourself in one word. Um, the one word I came up with is learner. I'm a learner. Okay. Yeah. Is that... What do you like to learn? I like to learn. How do I explain it? Like I am a, a total geek. I love reading. I love learning like just about the world and how it works. I think the most I enjoy though is like just learning about people and how how people are. <laughs> I find I find it fascinating. Is that uh, is that something you do by observation or through conversation or some other word that ends in Asian? I'm not sure. <laughs> how, realization. How do you go, realization. How do you go about learning how people are? This is going to sound creepy. We'll start and I'll decide whether it's creepy. <laughs> it's going to be. Um, that's a good question. Honestly, a lot of it is just from observing, like, like yeah, like watching what happened with, like, that woman in the post office and that mm -hmm. child. Like, like, I think moments like that, I will think about that. Yeah, I'd love just kind of watching, observing. But I also am very... I guess, introspective. Like I like learning about my personality and other people's personalities and why we're motivated to do things or not. And just the intricacies of that. Yeah. 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 So you said, uh, I, did you say geek? I can't remember now. Yes, are you, yes, are you a proud I geek? I did. I would say that I am. <laughs> I think also like in general, cause you're a teacher too, John. Oh, I am. People who love teaching Yes. love learning otherwise yes. why would we do it yes yeah and i do love i love teaching and i love learning that's good so, I, although there's certain things that you know with every job not yeah. that interested yeah, sure. in but. with every yeah with everything there's there's a limit to well, yeah you're you're sparked by certain things i would say um yeah i definitely say like i'm in if i wasn't teaching i would be in school so I just get to be in school. And what would you study? Oh my gosh, that's been a significant problem for me. Um, 
for a long time because my wife and I had a plan and the plan's been working relatively well, but I'm dogging it here um, when it, it's it's my turn. So, you know, um, we get jobs and we get a house and we get kids and all that stuff sounds fairly normal, but we both still wanted to pursue education. And so um, my wife is going to get the master's first and then I'm going to get the master's and then she's going to get the PhD and then I'm going to get the PhD, but she's already done the master's in this incredibly tumultuous time where she was opening a midwifery clinic at the same time, like starting a business essentially and doing the master's. And now it's my turn and I couldn't decide, could not decide. Mm. Uh, and then at the same time I got, um, I got signed with lost and found and started pursuing uh, music at sort of a semi-professional level. And, and so that, took energy and and I was spending you know several years trying to figure out where to put that energy uh, like into what results you know whether it's to do music to do public speaking and I've been bouncing around a little bit all the while raising five children so what would I study uh I probably could name you four masters right now <laughs> the most recent one that I was looking at was um a uh, masters of fine arts in creative nonfiction. Um, so I could write a book and I'm over the moon with this idea. And this might be COVID delayed perhaps, um, because I have been writing 2020 sort of sparked a lot of, a lot of creative stuff for me. And so writing was one of the things I returned to. Uh, I think I have, I think I can do something with it. Um, the masters itself was wonderful because it was online you had residencies you had a week in january you would be either in new york or toronto and two weeks in august you would be in halifax and that just sounds like heaven to me that i yeah. signed me up yeah yeah so and you know take the family out and and then you know we could probably do a month there and, and they can go home and i can work and so that was that was what I had lined up. Um, uh, there's all like I shouldn't say there's always education. I have I have recently conceived something that I wouldn't mind studying in terms of um, ed in terms of education and equity. Um, it's not fully formed, so I'm gonna keep it under my hat. Uh, I love Jesus and want to uh, study the Bible more, and I've definitely thought about going to school. Um, for like a master's in theological studies. I was sparked by that when I saw Ince Choi perform his one person play Subway Stations of the Cross. I think I'm getting that right. Do you know Ince Choi? Do you know? I have heard his name, but I can't say I'm very familiar. I'm sure that you work. would know the play Kim's Convenience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah he, he wrote, yeah, he wrote the play, which then turned into the television show. I bought right. both of those uh, manuscripts that night, started reading Kim's Convenience. I have never laughed out loud reading a play ever as, as that work. Several LOLs, um, but like to <laughs> like disturbing the people around me. Like it was, I laughed so hard at this play and, um, and Subway Station's. I should you totally should. read that. You should. I'm ready. Um, the subway stations of the cross was 
Uh, so he he had gone to Wycliffe College at U of T and and done a master's of theological studies. And so I was like, oh, if someone like him could go to a school like that and come up with some artistic work, mm. I was like, okay, so so here's an op- so here's here's a school that potentially would allow artistic work in combination with theological studies, and that's something that that marriage of art and faith is something I'm always looking at. While you're saying that, I, let me say too that I don't have a concrete plan for when this is going to happen, but kind of recently it's been confirmed that I am one day going to do that, get a master's in theological studies or an MDiv, one of those. Yeah. How do you I'm feel do about it. that? I feel awesome. I'm very excited to do it. It's something, uh, it's something that I thought Sometimes before I thought that I would do it, but it was kind of like, yeah. But now it's very like, yes, I really, I'm very excited to That's do good. it. That's good. I wish you well on that journey. Yeah. Thanks. So do you, so you described yourself in a word. Would you like to know how I would describe you to somebody in a word? I, <laughs> I yes. do and I don't, but I do. You can decline the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheating because one one leads to the other. The first word I would say is surprising, hmm. and it what that means to me is every time I engage your work, watch you perform, or share a stage with you, I'm always surprised, and that's not because the bar is low, but each time there is this expression of depth and that is the second the second word for me like i think that when i love artists like this i probably am one as well when you go to the show when you engage the work when you sit you see the level of talent and the level of thought that goes into the work you go oh shoot it catches you by surprise and again not because the bar is low but you just oh there's real there's man that is deep there's depth there there's thought there's care and it's engaging and that way like you kind of get swept up in the performance and make a connection with it that then makes you a fan and so i've said this to you like we are a part of the personic creative collective um but i've said this like i'm a fan and so the you know this album release um is exciting to me as like a part of an artist group where someone has come to the completion of this journey but more importantly i'm like getting a new record and i'm super pumped wow john that means that means a lot to me coming from you and uh i would definitely say you are that kind of artist as well Well, it's a good thing we're rolling together then (laughs) (laughs) so i you know i always forget so i ask about memories about like our first interactions or like connections where did we meet Oh man. Okay. Yeah. So my mem I have a fuzzy memory of a lot of <laughs> So if, if this is wrong, just correct me. But um yeah, we met when um when we were both invited by Drew Brown to join the Personic Creative Collective, this little group of artists. And um I actually didn't meet you in person for like a while uh we just had our slack group and um yeah through that i just you know checked out your work online and engaged with you there and i oh even then like not even having met you in person 
you had such a spirit of generosity with your art um, and with other people's art that I really admire. Yeah, and then you invited me to to write. Um, yeah. Of course. Okay. That was the first thing we did together. That was um, masterpiece was one of them, and then there was the yeah, there was there, the was, there were one. two. Um, I want to say the f- summer of 2017, we had a writing session at my house. That was the first time I met you. Yeah, in so we were part of this. I'm so glad. I'm yeah. so glad we did. There was uh, Creo was there and one other person, Cyril. Cyril. That's right. And we all wound up on the song uh, "Hope Has a Name." Hope has a name. And so right. I think first Lost and Found was working on a compilation, and that song was was built for that it, so it was connected to uh lost and found wanted to develop something that was connected to a, um a script a passage of scripture and so we were sort of with each ver- each verse was going to be uh inspiring a song and so this was like yeah it wasn't necessarily what i would have chosen to write on but i was keen for the challenge and really loved doing mm-hmm. it in community so yeah, we had a writing session at my house and tried to knock something out. It it took a while, but we got there. Okay, I was I was re- reflecting on mm-hmm. that actually, and yeah, okay, I guess I'll just say this. I remember that writing session, and I look back on it with a lot of regret okay. on yeah. my own part, not at all yeah. on you guys, because I, at that time, actually my you know just development as an artist I had really kind of closed myself off from collaborating and like trusting yeah. other people because I had been through something that you know where I got hurt mm. and so you inviting me to be part of this collaborative thing honestly was a, a big right, thing okay. for me because at that time I had really just isolated myself as an artist in a lot of ways and In general, I think for writing in the creative process, that to me is not natural to share it with people. I think for you, it's the opposite. Very much so. Yeah. And again, that's something I really admire about you and that I want to learn. And I I learn from watching people like you. Um, I think I'm definitely, you know, in a different place now. And, And then... In the next phase of what I do, whether it's another album or whatever, I definitely want to do a lot more collaborative work. But yeah, when I look back on that session, I was so like insecure. Hmm. And I really regret that I didn't like open myself up to engage in the writing right. in the moment. I I wanted to so badly. Um, but yeah, as you'll remember, I kind of like, we kind of worked on some things and then I was like, take it home home and work on it. And I took it home and worked on it. But yeah, I, I look back on that and I'm like, I wish that I had been braver. It's interesting. Um, intuitively, because I like, I, I like reading people and I have a strong intuition. It's not perfect, but strong intuitively. I, I got that from you. Um, yeah, I kind of yeah. thought that you did. <laughs> yeah. So my like, so my approach then was, well, during that time was to be like, let's try this. Um, there were things I yeah. did. Uh, there were things I d- did that night that I'd never done before. Um, 
we yeah. worked the in terms of lyric writing we worked in a google doc um and so like we were in the same room but pe- but we were multiple people on the same doc and they were looking through and i was typing out some lyrics and then someone would make a suggestion and i was like one of the first times i'd ever taken notes from someone or lines from someone because the hip hop thing is so much about you write your own rhymes you write your own rhymes which is not true by the way but that's that's the you know the thing that that we hold for ourselves is a sort of authenticity but i for a long time i was like you know hip hop is so based in jazz jazz is all about covers right and about your mm-hmm. spin on something and how to elevate it and and it's like hip hop you can't do cover songs you can't you know collaborate and write rhymes like this is no fun it's no fun not you know not working with people um so that was a step out for me in uh i was like yeah i was a, i would say it's the first time i've 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 taken a line from someone or 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 lines from someone i have i have had received help once or twice before but like in the moment to be like actually you said this better than i did and you're giving mm. it to me and so that's the generosity going back and forth and that's something i i've longed to do even more so so for me that was one of the you know one of the first things i did is sort of that humility of like yeah no this this is good and if you're offering it i'm going to take it and i'm going to provide try and provide for you i'm always looking for people to collaborate so when you sort mm-hmm. of uh stopped and started and then like i'm going to take it home and i was yeah. like okay well that maybe that's yeah. just not your bag like I, it wasn't, you know, the end of work. I still wanted to work with you. And what I saw was, like I said, it took a couple of passes because the beat kept changing mm-hmm. and, um, and the, the label wasn't really strong in the direction. And then the song sort of fell to me. And then, and then the, the producers rewrote the beat without telling me. Right. Um, right. and so I got really upset about that. And, uh, but I remember this, I remember, um, picking up. Had the had the triplets, I had the triplets with me. I was picking up one of the kids from camp in the summer, and I was playing demos all the time for them. And it was interesting because you start to see what songs hit, and so you <laughs> sent over what would be the final hook. Love, <laughs> it's not going to work. I'm going to cut all of that out. Um, no, I'm going to sing it just because I want to be authentic, even if it's bad. Love, love made a way. And when, so I'm, so I'm playing that on the drive. And by the time we get to the day camp, the triplets are singing it back. And they're like three years old. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. And I remember my, my little daughter, that. she's singing love. And I was like, oh, this is a winner. That's so cool. So, it, Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I ever told you though, like how I appreciate that. And I, yeah, like what you said that you could read that in the moment. I felt like you did too, and that kind of made me yeah, feel Yeah, I, I would feel the same way. I don't think I I ever thanked you for, you know, just inviting me to be part of that. Uh, and I think that being around people like you and yeah, honestly, just kind of like, like I, I used that word before, but this generosity of spirit and creativity that you have, like for me, naturally the way I come in my creativity, it's like a very like going inward and it's so private hmm. and, you know, like depth, I guess. Like, it's like I go into like the depths of myself to write and it was a really 
hard process for me to learn to trust people and to just see the process in a way that like made room for it to be like collaborative um we should definitely write together again it'll be different that's what I was going to say. You say you want to say thank you. I say say let's do it again. That's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm definitely I'm definitely missing that right now. In this season of closure, so I always ask our guest to bring a story about creativity or collaboration, inspiration. We've already been telling some great stories. I love telling stories. Um, usually, I let the guests go first, but um, you're about to release your new album even now and i think that my story actually works to tell first um because it's from your previous recorded project and it's the song that made me a fan so is it okay if i tell my story first for sure i would love that so uh with fuzzy memories i'm not going to remember all the lyrics but um the song Try So Hard from your EP Brought to Light, 2014. It's so interesting to me. I've talked about this on, on other podcasts. Like once I hit the high of a project, I don't need almost anything else. Like just take me on that on-ramp to that high and then we're good. But yours was like the first few seconds. I, every day, I guess every day she looks herself in the mirror and she paints her face. Is that, am I close? Every morning she meets the girl in the mm -hmm. mirror and paints her face. Yeah. Already a fan. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you what it is. I'll, I will, I will say this. I've, I've not said this publicly. My like go to for years, go to. Um, introspective, feeling moody music is um, uh, acoustic singer-songwriters from females. So, so yes. like way back, like Jennifer Knapp. Um, yeah. There was a, there was a great gal that I I heard at the when I was working for the when I did the Juno panel, Jill Paquette, um, Jill Phillips. Uh, Ani DeFranco, I just like give me something, give me a woman singing something emotional, and I don't know, like I just I have this like mixtape of like songs that would just put me in my feelings and just allow me to process. There was something about creating the world that you did with this character, and as a high school teacher as an intuitive person, like I just saw that struggle for so many young women. When we get to the chorus, and it's if she could only be a little bit brighter. Brighter, yeah. If she was only a little bit brighter. A little bit more like the others. A little bit more like, yeah. Um, finish that off for me. If only she wasn't the way she was made. I'll have to sing it. If only she wasn't the way she was made. And, and never, never made, made any, any mistakes. mistakes. She wouldn't have to try so hard. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel that so much. It just, it just hit, it just hit me. And it was all of the things, it was um, my upbringing, it was my dad being too hard on me, it was 
um, put me in high school for some reason. And just thinking about some of my friends and I, I was in a gifted program. And so we all tried hard. We all had way too much stress and were too hard on ourselves. And I thought about the high school, uh, teaching high school and seeing all these kids from various backgrounds um, fighting for um, uh, their, their path forward in life. And, and yeah, just anything where the pressure was so high and the standards were too high. And, and it, you know, it's years of friends and counselors saying, I, you know, that I'm too hard on myself. I've told you, I've told you that I'm a fan of the song. I told you that song made me a fan, but I've never asked you about how, what you went, like where you went mm. to get that. Um, so I'm going to ask you now, like, oh, how yeah. did you get there? I might cry. Well, I cry singing the song. <laughs> that was one, like the writing of the first verse and the chorus was, you know, rarely as a songwriter, you get something that just comes. That one just like, it just happened pretty quickly. And then I, you know, I had to work on the song after that, but uh, this is what happened. <laughs> In 2012, I had finished um, I had finished music school and I had decided, you know, instead of doing the <laughs> pre-scheduled plan to become a school music teacher, that I was like, I'm going to give this whole artist thing a real shot. And let me say to begin with, and kind of what you said about like me being surprising. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I had always like looked at other people who become artists and been like, I am not interesting enough as a person mm. <laughs> to be one of them. Like I'm just a regular person and I love music and I love creating things, but I never like the difference between like creating something and like being a musician and like being an artist. I always felt like there was like a big leap from one to the next. Does that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I, I always felt like this sense of like, I'm not interesting enough or whatever it is enough to be that thing. But over and over again, as I had been in school, like doing music and I loved it, like the thing that just made me feel the most alive was writing songs. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I did feel very clearly that God was calling me to trust him enough to, to give it a shot, even though everything else was like, I don't think I can actually do this. I'm not the right kind of person. Hmm. And by the way, at that point in my life, I didn't like personally know anybody who was doing this kind of work, like as an artist, a music artist. I, I knew a lot of musicians who played other people's music and I was very comfortable doing that. So this idea of becoming a music artist felt like becoming a unicorn, like this thing <laughs> that doesn't really exist. I don't know how to become it. Anyways, so that year I was like, okay, I'm going to just try it. And one of the first things that I did was um, I entered this songwriting competition that the GMA um, was running at, and it was part of like the Covenant Awards in that conference. So I went to that conference and that was the first like, real artist thing that I had ever 
done. So I'm trying to get ready to go to this conference and meet these people, like producers and artists, like people that I've never, I've never been around this kind of thing before. I didn't really know these people were real people. I felt so keenly that feeling of like, I have to pretend that I'm more than I really am hmm. in order to be even considered, <laughs> like to be around, to be present at this thing. And so, yeah, this is part of me is like embarrassed to tell this because it, it brought up, like you said, in high school, like so many insecurities that I had always had, but that you feel the most keenly, you know, in school. Mm-hmm. And here I was, you know, supposedly an adult, and I am going through those feelings all over again, like, what should I wear? I have to wear something that makes it believable that I could be an artist and I didn't own anything <laughs> that was in that category. <laughs> and I literally had to like go to my friends and be like, dress me. I cannot do this myself. Teach me how to put on makeup. I do not know how to do this. Um, and that whole process um, reminded me of this one moment in grade five. I remember it very clearly in grade five. I was at school and we'd finished gym class and we were getting changes to go, you know, to the next class. And I was in the washroom in the mirror, looking in the mirror. And this one girl was putting on eyeliner and she was like, Hey, do you want to try this? And I had no idea how to put on eyeliner. So I'm trying to put it on and it's not like, I'm, I don't know how to do this. And she says, Oh, Rochelle, it's funny how you have to try so hard. Whoa. Yeah. And that moment like surfaced and felt, I felt exactly like the way I felt in that moment all these years later. Um, So yeah, on the, you know, after I went to that conference, I came home and I wrote the first verse in the chorus, just like it just came out of me. Wow. Does the if only aspect of that song is that a rewriting or is it declaration of regret Hmm. i don't see it that way as a declaration of regret i see it more as kind of the voice of like the world this is what the world is saying to her to me if Mm -hmm. only you were whatever it is more or less of whatever it is than you really are. If only you are like that, then you could be an artist or a real woman, whatever it is. Um, I don't personally see it as like me actually taking that on for myself Mm -hmm. that I think I should have had to do those things. So in the bridge of that song, it says, won't somebody tell her it's all a lie. And I think I use that type of writing quite often i don't know the proper word for it maybe you do it's not sarcasm maybe is it irony it's this it's like i'm saying it if only she wasn't the way she was made but that's not what i'm saying right yeah i would that definitely um uh, that definitely reads as irony to me Mm -hmm. and then there's and then back to my other word of depth because because i can hear the cry of the person saying like saying that in earnest if only Mm -hmm. i wasn't like that yeah 
and how many times I had thought that as a young girl, right? If only I looked more like her, if only I was more like that. I grew up in uh, Etobicoke, um, just outside of Toronto. I went to private school, very multicultural, multicultural church. It made me feel normal amongst a group of people that changed very quickly in ways I couldn't discern when I moved um, into a high school that was mostly white. Where did you, where did you grow up? What, what were the faces around you that made you feel like you weren't hmm. stand or that you were standing out or that you weren't okay or enough? Hmm. Wow. That's a huge question. And something I've been thinking a lot about, especially in recent months. Um, yes. For people on the podcast, I am Chinese Canadian. Um, I was born here. My parents are from Hong Kong. So growing up here, um, I, this is like so hard for me to say. Hmm. Um, and I don't think I fully realized this until, you know, maybe six months ago, as I was reflecting on race and just so much of this um, stuff that's surfaced. Um, I had a life, I think, that was, when I was in school, most of the other kids were white, and there were other Asians, but there were kind of like the Canadian ones, like the ones that acted like the white kids, and the ones that were more, you know, speaking Chinese to each other. I really, from pretty much my entire childhood, I really wanted to be white. Hmm. I believed, and I, I was struggling to, like when I'm looking back on this now, I was struggling to understand where that came from. But I believed that my life would be better, that I would be better if I had been white. Mm -hmm. I tried to kind of distance myself socially from the other Chinese kids who looked like me, but I didn't want to be associated with that. I wanted to be more acceptable or whatever. Um, but then I also had like my other, the rest of my life, like speaking Chinese at home and eating dim sum on the weekends. And I went to a Chinese church, a small Chinese church. So it was like my life, my Chinese life was one thing. Mm-hmm. And then kind of this other life at school and in extracurriculars and ballet class where I wanted nothing more than to be white. Yeah. And looking back on that now, it's like, I'm so ashamed of that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really embrace my culture and my race as something that I was proud of until um, kind of university that those years yeah where i like now i i really i find so much beauty in my culture and the language and the food and who we are as a people but you know i also balance that with who i am like kind of straddling these two different worlds Mm -hmm. i don't know if any of that made sense oh makes a lot of sense Uh, and it sounds like like you're saying, it sounds like it's part of a journey um, that you've been on. And I understand, I I completely understand the idea of regret. 
for feeling certain ways or feeling drawn to certain things. Um, and I'm very, I'm very curious about, you know, these, I don't know if they're markers, these identities that have sort of been set up in your mind around like, even, even like artists, mm-hmm. right? They carry, um, they carry certain assumptions about what an artist is supposed to be, right? So even to the things like dress, like I don't know how an artist dress, dresses. Yeah. Um, but like, I would assume then in your formative years that that would, like, yeah, that, that concept would have been for, formed and you wouldn't have seen any Chinese artists. No. Yeah. I think that even my path to becoming a musician, I always loved music, but I had never even considered that I could professionally become a musician. Like I could do music on the side because it makes me smarter and therefore, you know, <laughs> okay, yeah, more able to apply to medical school. Um, <laughs> which I really wanted to do, actually. Even okay. after I did my music degree, I was like, maybe I'll go to medical school. I love biology, by the way. Okay. Another thing I, I like to learn about. The human body is fascinating. Yeah. God made such an interesting world. Anyways, what was I trying to say? Our Asian artists, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had never even considered that that could be a thing. And then in high school, it was like, oh, I really do like, I really enjoy music. And I think I'm pretty good at it. Like, um, and so the only path that I considered doing was teaching because yeah. to become a performer was to become something that was like just too far away from the path. Like I was already veering off the path by being like, hey, mom, dad, I'm doing music. <laughs> and then to be like <laughs> a performer, that would be way off. Um, so, and, you know, and I genuinely love teaching. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'll be become a teacher and then in the process of studying that and then really falling in love with songwriting that was where like I said the unicorn thing it was like first of all I don't even know anybody who actually does this successfully you know and yeah certainly nobody who looks like me sure um and even now (laughs) especially now as I am launching this album plug (laughs) i didn't mean to do that uh yeah i i have been confronted with my chinese-ness um more than i have ever been before Hmm. i think seeing it as the reality that it is that it is in many ways a barrier for people to see me as marketable wow um and yeah, I have had some experiences where I feel that very keenly. That it's just, it's surprising to people. If they see just a picture of me and they have not heard the music, the first thing they think is not, this person really looks like an artist. Mm-hmm. I really want to listen to this. Right? right? Uh, generally speaking, I feel like they need to, like I kind of have to prove that I can do this yeah. to them, um, maybe more than if I was Shoot. another race. Yeah. So then, so so it's so then it becomes clear. It's not just in your head. It's like we're all suffering from. Oh boy, 
we're all suffering from the lack of representation. Yeah. We're all suffering from the monolith of what artistry is. Yeah. It's a huge thing. Um, and I, I think when I'm saying this now, I want to say this not like I'm complaining about the way it is. I really have done a lot of thinking just to kind of reconcile myself with this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is just the reality. This is how it is. Um, maybe at this moment in history, now maybe the industry and the market is more ready for an Asian female singer-songwriter than they have ever been before. I would hope that, but I don't know. But yeah, like recently I uh, started a radio campaign and in the process of doing that, it was like, oh yeah, I'm facing this fact that an Asian artist has never had any sort of widespread success in the Christian music industry uh, or charted on national radio or, you know, and so as I'm going into these things, like, I feel like it's like the reality is just, it just is what it is. Right. You're being um, yeah. And sometimes it's really discouraging and sometimes it's really motivating. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. And I can also understand the reserve of energy where it's discouraging or motivating to me, to me, you know, in my, in my own struggles is based on basically the reserve of energy I have. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I feel like fighting you today, yeah. fighting your conceptions, misconceptions. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it. I don't have the fight today. I don't have it in me today. Um, yeah. I find community helpful with that. Um, and that could be artistic community um, or it could be people that, um, share my difference <laughs> but i need i i actually just want to sit with that too because um i have to i have to pause and go what uh, like you said what is surprising i said maybe that's part of it maybe mm -hmm. my maybe my maybe my assertion of surprising is mm -hmm. part of that and the, what i haven't seen and what i like yeah and what i haven't engaged mm -hmm. um and i would definitely be willing to pause and unpack that um for for the artist that i'm a fan of <laughs> to sit and listen to your story in context and knowing that you like you know you are working towards a christian industry um working towards work you know being present in the christian industry that we absolutely know that that's that there's a monolith there <laughs> that's homogenous there we ab but but it's uh, thank you for 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 bearing witness to your experiences and i don't yeah i would i don't think it's whining at all it is truth telling um mm. but it's a hard truth and so people will respond in a variety of different ways yeah um and it's my hope that you know for me as i check myself and for those that listen that would become that would get into your corner um mm. to bring you energy uh, to bring you support um, to make this, uh, to make this difference that like you said, yeah. there's never yeah. been an Asian person of Asian descent in this arena. Well, I feel like fighting today. <laughs> Thank you, John. Yeah. I mean, and for the record, when you say like, maybe that is part of me being surprising as an artist, 
I I can totally say I am surprised. Hmm. I am an Asian female singer songwriter. Like when I look back on just all the stops and starts and the giving up and the I really shouldn't try to do this anymore. <laughs> There was so much of that. And yeah, a lot of that is ingrained because of representation, because of the way that I didn't value my own culture, regrettably, you know, like I've realized how much of that was from inside of me, my own perceptions of what I can do. And even within music, for example, there there was definitely kind of a, how do I say it? Like a hierarchy of things that like I could do as it because I'm Chinese, like, um, you know, when I was in music school, uh, I was a voice major, but I also played piano. And most people assumed I was a pianist. I was a piano major. um, Because there was a lot of Asian pianists. Right. And you have Lang Lang and you know, that like, you can be a classical musician, Uh, you could even maybe become a composer. but to be a singer mm-hmm. is another level, I think, of um, storytelling or whatever people elevate that. It, I don't know why, but it is. Um, yeah. And then to le- make a leap from classical music into like pop music, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. And like you said, worship music, for example. Sure. Um, so yeah, I do feel that a lot of those barriers I struggled internally with and then af- even through that, you know, I saw the external barriers and I am seeing them now. I <laughs> I've often asked God like, you know, as he's confirmed to me over and over my calling as a singer-songwriter. Sometimes I'm like, but why did you make me Asian then? Like, why did you make me female? It would be a lot easier for me to walk in this calling if I was something else. And, you know, and him continually affirming to me and through people, through my community, saying to me, you are exactly how God made you to be and you are doing exactly what he called you to do. So he's going to do with that what he wants, right? If you're enjoying these conversations about creativity, inspiration, community, and learning together, consider becoming a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash John Corbin. Your monthly financial support not only allows the podcast to keep running, but it also enables it to reach higher heights. There are no tiers or levels of support. Simply pay what you choose. Patreon supporters get regular behind-the-scenes updates on the show, sneak peeks at upcoming guests, as well as access to whatever creative material I'm working on, whether that's exclusive songs, poems, essays, DJ mixes, and a whole lot more. Check it out at patreon.com slash John Corbin. We are back on the John Corbin podcast. My guest is Rochelle Luke. We're had a fantastic conversation so far and we're about to talk about this new album that you are releasing called even now and what's the release date it is june 11th 2021 that's fantastic so uh when you're hearing this it will have already released and so we're talking to rochelle on the journey on to release and uh writing customs cards and uh (laughs) mailing cds and 
all that all that good stuff but uh it's a 10 track album and uh and even now i'm very interested in this title what um where did it come from what what sparked the name even now well um actually titling the album was a real struggle i went through some different ideas um i really chose it because of all the title tracks i felt like it expressed you know just in one short phrase um what is at the heart of of this whole record kind of the the underlying theme um so the song even now expresses even now i trust that you are good even now my praise belongs to you Mm -hmm. it's a song of lament of grief of sorrow and in that moment expressing that grief and sorrow to god saying even now even in this moment i'm going to lift up my praise to you and that song in in particular i can go more into like the whole the bigger circumstances of the years the the five-year period when i wrote all of these songs it was you know a really hard low time in my life uh but this song in particular so i was already in this low time at one point um somebody that i love committed suicide Hmm. and i remember getting that news and that weekend i was supposed to lead worship at church so I get this news and the next day I go to a rehearsal with my worship team and I was just struggling to yeah. reconcile that. Like, you know, I'm about to lead these songs of praise and I, I do honestly mean them. I do. God is still good and all of these things that we're about to sing, but I don't know that I can do an uppity song this weekend. You know, mm-hmm. I might have to change that up. Um, And so this song for me just came out of my own time of worship and kind of, you know, if, if those songs that were on the set originally, I, I didn't, it it was a leap for me to sing them right away. Uh, What is a song that I could sing now, um, even now? So I think about, you know, the variety of people that listen to the show and I, and I, I think about, you know, for those that might not share my faith, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain worship. <laughs> yeah, it's a <laughs> tough know? thing to explain. But I, I definitely uh, resonate with the sentiment because, um, you know, we haven't known each other in, for, you know, for all of this period of, of the songwriting, for some of it. But then, um, you know, as you got to know me, you know that we had the crisis of, cri- crisis of having triplets and, and, trying to figure out how to make a new life. And, and then I had some health stuff and then my wife went through some job stuff and it was just like, it was multiple crises. And it is, it's interesting. Like the, the idea of turning away from these problems in a desperate hope that there's some something out there that knows and cares for us that's beyond us it is this um resistance to despair i think 
I hear that in the in the song, but what's what's cool about it, and I, you know, some of the artists that we know and run with, is I hope "cool" is an okay word, is that it's authentic in the pain. Yeah, I hear that um, regularly in the album. Mm. Um, that you are willing to go there, depth, yeah. mm. when things are not all good. I imagine that there. Um, I imagine that there are that I imagine that that's a criticism of, of Christians in general, that we can be so happy clappy that we aren't willing to sit in the mud. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, there's a real, I want to say a turning point from the album. Like, you know, even now lanes right in the middle yeah. and then, and then you go there, right? You go, you go scars. Yeah. And that's that's a hard one too. Yeah. To be honest, I really like I went back and forth so many times on scars on whether I should include it hmm. on this record. Um, but uh, my producer was like, "I love this song. <laughs> it's my favorite. Do not cut it." <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, because of exactly what you're saying. Um, Oh, but I don't, I would do want to come back to that thing about how do we explain worship to people mm -hmm. who don't share our faith? Let me just remind me of that. Um, but pain and let's talk about pain and Christians, shall we, John? <laughs> they, they have, they, Christians have pain. <laughs> we do, but then we're not allowed to say that yeah. we do, or we're not allowed to express it. Okay, so here I'm gonna I'm gonna do that whole irony thing where I say things, and I'm being kind of sarcastic, but kind of not. Um, <laughs> all right, so so it'll make sense if I tell more of the story of um, those five years when I wrote this album. Mm -hmm. In those five years, I did not write these songs because I was like, I'm going to write, uh, you know, launch an album after this. That was not where I was at. Um, Scars was the first of these to be written. Um, after my first EP, I pretty much gave up on music. <laughs> I am ashamed to say. Um, but at that time, uh, right after, you know, around the time of that release, I went through something very painful um, where I was betrayed by somebody in the industry that I was working with. And um, it really just shook me. That was the thing that I said, you know, I trust, I couldn't trust people for mm -hmm. a while after that. I really struggled creatively to trust people. And so, you know, that kind of just spiraled into a whole lot of other insecurities and mental health things that I was experiencing. And, you know, I live with, I live with depression and anxiety and I have learned now how to live with them and to have a full life. But at that time, I had not. And so that event, um, just, I was depressed. I was living a very defeated life. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why God would call me to pursue music and then allow this mess to happen. And, um, and so I was in this kind of already low lost point. And... And then my husband, um, who had always been very strong and healthy, kind of suddenly and without much explanation became sick. 
and he had chronic fatigue for years, for five years. And we, you know, struggled to even at the beginning to find out what this is. And chronic Mm -hmm. fatigue is one of those things that's really like when they really have nothing else to call it. Um, This is what they call it. But um, it changed everything about our daily lives. It changed everything about um, my world and my options. Everything became much smaller. Honestly, it had a very similar effect on our lives as, as kind of COVID did for everybody. Yeah. In a lot of ways, because we had been through that, um, adjusting to COVID life was like, oh, we were just like, we'll just go back to what we had done for five years. Um, And I'm not making light of that, but I am saying that after that journey of five years, we we really learned how to find joy and laughter in the midst of pain and disappointment. Like, I think a lot of us, even within the church, there's this idea that, you know, there will be this trial or hard time and then God will deliver you and you will experience joy. It's like a before and after right. kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that, that does happen sometimes, but I think we are a lot less equipped um, to deal with things when that's not the case. Um, and we learned through that, that there are times where the pain and the disappointment are there for a very long time. And in the midst of that, God gave us joy and laughter, Hmm. you know? And I think that sometimes we, like for the first couple of years, I wasn't even looking for that. I wasn't expecting any of it. So I wasn't able to receive any of of the joy. Um, I was looking for the answer to that prayer, you know, that God would fix this thing. And then I would have, joy in him and joy in my marriage and whatever but he really gave us this gift through that season of we have pain we still have disappointment we're still grieving these things we're still struggling um but we also are experiencing his goodness we're experiencing joy in him and in each other and in our community and that was a gift that I don't know. I wasn't prepared to receive that. Mm-hmm. And I I think I had, because of that, I had a lot of conversations with people uh, who quite honestly didn't know how to sure. address my pain. They didn't know how to enter into my pain. They just knew how to hope for the end of the problem. Right. So I, I, I definitely understand that idea of not being able to receive and especially since we talked about earlier the capability to see beauty right mm-hmm. and so it it it's still it is still a thing that i marvel at in trying to find the good in the difficult situation and that is, and this, and this is what I think, this is what I honestly think about God is that I don't think God trivializes any of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's like you said, even if you couldn't receive it, it was still there. Yep. And so the, the good, the goodness of your relationship, the goodness of any, you know, 
acts of kindness or community or or whatever like um yeah like even it's it's still there and so these songs then become uh they become cries from the soul and to the same soul like this is okay this is how this is the depth of emotion that you're feeling this is how hard it is and we acknowledge that and lift up your eyes for the for there's goodness there too yeah i think that i'm so glad that the bible has an entire book called lamentations <laughs> like the fact that god was like i'm gonna put this in there and call it lamentations so people can't label it anything else um yeah and i think <laughs> it's that's an example it's like well we always quote lamentations three and we should, because that is the, the turning point, right? The part where after the expression of pain, it's like, but this I call to mind, I have hope in the Lord. But we don't quote Lamentations 1 and 2, like the, the list, the laundry list <laughs> of sucks. pain and suffering. <laughs> and I think that one of the things I wanted to accomplish with this album um, was to express pain and sit in it like let people feel the pain not because we're whining or complaining but because we're humans and to have that be sacred and good um and and not i don't know i i still struggle with that i think there there have been some christian communities where i feel like i can do that in an authentic healing way and yes, we we do mourn. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. That is the quote, right? We do have hope. But I think that there are some many cases that I encountered where I think really because of their discomfort, uh, Christians would try to rush to the hope. Sure. Um, like you can have a bite-sized bit of pain, but you have to move on right away to the hope. Otherwise, you're kind of betraying God or, you know, cheating him of his worship and goodness. Like, you're, you you don't think of him as good enough if you are still experiencing mm. your pain. And there's kind of this idea. And, and in some ways, it's like we have to go to secular music to express our negative emotions. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um and yeah, so one of my goals was to tell this a fuller story of what it is to walk with Jesus through life. Mm-hmm. That that I am a I am a human being. I and Jesus was too. He experienced pain and grief. And he wasn't afraid of other people's pain and grief. That's so why bad. are we? Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about Jesus wept for the last year more than ever Mm -hmm. um was not afraid of pain and grief and that's it because i know (laughs) i watch my kids one kid hurts the other kid oh sorry 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 we just like let's just get to the end of this Mm -hmm. and yeah we are afraid of we are afraid of pain we're yeah. afraid of other people's pain. We don't know how to deal with it. We can't fix it. Yeah. 
Oh, so let me finish my thought on Scars. I had started okay. telling you that a bit. I'll do this quick. Um, so Scars was the first song that I had written. It was the first song that I wrote after I, quote, gave up on music. <laughs> and um, I had stopped writing for a while, and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, but yeah, I've always found Siring to be a time where I meet with God. And so I, this song, Scars, is a song narrated by my scars they're talking to me they're saying i'm here i tell you this story of what happened to you and now i'm telling you to never risk anything again because then you'll get another scar and that was how i was really living my life i was like i got hurt i'm not doing anything to risk that ever again and for some reason this kind of dark song of letting my pain like verbalize itself to me and say to me all these things um, that are not from God, these limiting things mm -hmm. that say, you will get hurt, live a small life. That was actually very healing for me. And I realized that pain is not something we can avoid. Like I think too often Christianity becomes about pain avoidance. Um, and that's not what Jesus came to offer us. The whole underlying message and theme of this record is that in, in the kingdom of God, in the way of Jesus, redeemed pain is more powerful than removed pain. Whoa. Yeah. So that pain was not removed. No. But it was redeemed. And here is the record to prove it. <laughs> you Asian female singer-songwriter <laughs> that writes to Christians about pain. <laughs> yeah. I want to be that. I don't know if anybody out there is like, I wish there was someone doing this, but here I am. <laughs> Well, I've, I've played on stages with you. I've seen you perform. I know that you can connect. Um, and the best authentic art does. Um, there will be barriers. But like I said earlier, I'm, I'm feel, I feel like fighting. Um, this is a record worth fighting for, definitely. And I'm thankful that you were able to share what went into it thank you john yeah. yeah i think especially now with everything that we are living through that um talking about pain and hope and where they intersect is what we all need so yeah thanks so much for having me oh thank you so much for being here i am the shadow on your skin of every fall you've ever taken I am the proof of what you've left behind I am the lasting evidence of every painful accident etched on a surface you can't redesign.
Thank you so much for listening to the John Corbin Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not become a part of it? Hit me up on social media. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all at John Corbin Music. That's J-O-N-C-O-R-B-I-N. That's right. It's John with no H. You can stay on top of my music and creative work at johncorbinmusic.com. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast, please like, share, favorite and subscribe spreading the word is one of the best things you can do to help this podcast grow thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon